I have this uh, distinct memory in my head of watching a pastor get up on to preach and he spent about 30 seconds fiddling and I feel like whenever I get up I need to do that as well. Last year I did some work on a farm. I was myself, the farmer and his son uh, and every day we would kick off at 7.30, uh, coffee in my hand, lunch under the arm and we'd get going for the day. Uh, and there was two ways into the farm. There was the front gate which went through into the house um, behind the house were all the sheds. Uh, and then there was the side entrance, which ran up the side of the property uh, and alongside that, and that went directly to the sheds. Uh, and this is the entrance that I would take. Uh, I would park the car and wait for the boss to tell me what to do. Uh, but the son, well, he had every right to use the side entrance, but he actually had the privilege of using the front gate. He was allowed to drive up to the house. He would stop there, get a coffee with mum, say g'day, use the clean amenities, uh, and then come out ready to start work. And the house was off limits to me, right? Uh, except by invitation of the farmer or the son. But the son had every right to the house. It was as much his as it was the farmer's. And you might be wondering why I'm talking about a farm and a house uh, for the last few minutes and how that relates to this passage. Uh, well, I'm going to pray again, and then we're going to get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Ephesians and what Paul has written here. Our Lord, speak through me now. Our Lord, may your word uh, be taught. Uh, may we learn more about you uh, and grow in our relationship with you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Jesse took us through a passage showing two ways of living. Uh, and he explained Paul's analogy of the old self and the new self, the old clothes and the new clothes. And he left us with this challenge of how are we going to be in light of this, in light of what Jesus has done for us. In today's passage, Paul starts off with an equal challenge. The Ephesians are told in verse 1 to imitate God and to live a life of love. And this is the way of the Christian, the way of the new self. It's what wearing the new self looks like. And they're given two reasons for this. Firstly, they're dearly loved children. Uh, and it's important to note the shift here in the language of Ephesians. See, all throughout Ephesians, Paul has always called them God's holy people. But here, they're more than that. They're God's loved children. The emphasis shifts and becomes a lot deeper in nature. They, like the son I worked with, had access to the house, had access to God and all the perks and benefits that came with that. And secondly, they're given a role model. Just as Christ loves them and gave himself up for all Christians on the cross, they are to live a life of love in remembrance of this. And what we continue on to now is how it looks like to live with the new clothes. From verse 3, we see quite a list of what the Ephesians are not to do. Uh, and if we're honest, it can be quite an idealistic list. No sexual immorality, no greed, and no foolish talk or obscenity. Basically, be perfect, right? Be perfect and it's all good. And verse 5 goes on to call any of those who do these things idolaters. Which, if we think about it, draws us back to the Old Testament, to the Ten Commandments. The first commandment being... You shall have no other gods before me, which is idolatry. 
Now, I'm making this point because the Ten Commandments also were an impossible list that the Israelites could not live up to. And so I don't think we can read this as a checklist right now, either in the context of the Ephesians then or us today. Obeying this list of not-to-do things will not save you. No, the Ephesians are already saved. They are children of God. They have the new self. The Ephesians are children of God before any of these commands were given by Paul. Because Paul is working from the position of speaking to those already saved. And I was trying to think of an analogy to explain this, but the analogy is right here in the passage. It's that of children. And I want to unpack this because I think it's, it's a really important part. A child in no way has earned their position or their place in a family. In fact, their ability to decide is non-existent. They are a child. I'm a child of my parents. No matter what I do or say or think, it's what I am. Before I'm even able to do or say or think. Once my parents have decided to have me, I am theirs. It's completely out of my ability to influence. No matter what I say, I am their child. And so a Christian is God's child. Before anything else, a Christian is God's child. That's their identity. And Paul goes to great lengths to prepare the Ephesians' status before God in the first chapter alone. Let's jump back to Ephesians chapter 1 quickly and have a look at what he says there. And so just skimming through from verse 1, Paul calls the Ephesians saints. Down in verse 4, they're chosen to be holy and blameless. Verse 14, there is a down payment on them. We're getting a pretty clear image here that their status in Paul's view is that of saved and redeemed. And what great privilege comes along with that? And not by their own doing either. So we can conclude then that from chapter 5, it's not something they must do to be saved. Rather, they're God's children. They haven't done anything to earn it. They haven't done a to-do list to be God's children. It's simply and beautifully what they are. So how do we read what Paul is saying here about idolaters then? Well, my conclusion is that it connects to verse 6. These are the actions of those deserving God's wrath. And that is why the Ephesians are commanded against such things. They are saved. They are God's children. Therefore, avoid the ways of those deserving God's wrath. You're not going to tell your child to go and play in the mud once you've washed and bathed them and made them clean. The Ephesians know what they are. They are God's children. Therefore, they are to live as that, not in the sin of those deserving God's wrath. And I think we're going to stop right here and address some thoughts that might arise. Because Paul here is commanding the Ephesians what they must do as Christians. And we get funny with this language of being told what to do as Christians. Because we believe in grace. We believe in forgiveness, atoning sacrifice, once for all, death to life. And we do nothing. It's all great. We can sit back, put our feet up and relax. Now, I'm exaggerating the outcome. But this mindset 
can take hold of us in different ways. And it can be tempting to believe that we don't have to do anything. But the truth is salvation, sonship, adoption into God's family means we change. Not that we change ourselves, but that God changes us. And as God changes us, so our desires change. God showed Ezekiel this back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He said to him, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, we in and of ourselves as a human are unable to change sinful ways. But by the Spirit of God in us, he changes us and enables us to change. God renews our mind and we put off sin, the old self, and put on godliness, the new self, because we are God's children too. A pastor from Sydney put it like this. He said, Every time I have seen someone come to faith in Christ, I have recognized and acknowledged the hand of God and the work of his Spirit to draw them to himself. I have also watched chalk and cheese changes in people overnight because of Jesus. However, in each case, the person is responding personally to the challenge. First to repent and believe, second to change and grow. The two work together and the tension remains. As God changes us and makes us more like him, our identity is that of children of God. It's not found in your job or your online image or the vehicle you drive, but it's so much more than all of these. We continue on to what verse 7 says. Do not partner with those who are trying to deceive you. Another interpretation of the phrase to partner with is to join in or partake. And so what Paul is getting at here is saying don't partake in the sin of those who don't place God as number one, as those who are idolaters. God is saying that he must remain number one in your life. This is the putting off of the old self, the idolater, and putting on the new self, God's child. This And this is by the work of the Spirit of God in us. And verse 8 goes on to reiterate this change. Read with me. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. This is another analogy contrasting light and darkness. As children of God, who is light, we too are to be a light in the world, which is in the darkness. And this is a very strong analogy, representing the deeds done in darkness, that is, in sin, are filled with fruitlessness. It has no benefit into eternity. But Christians are to live as children of the light, not darkness. And Paul gives us the fruit of this, what this will look like in verse 9. It's goodness, it's righteousness, it's truth. Notice it isn't another to-do list. Paul doesn't say, do these things 
and then you're done. No, they're described as fruit because that's what Christians emulate and produce as a result of being a child of the light. This an attribute of a Christian. And so the question becomes, how in the situation I am in can I be a light? How can I share the truth of the gospel to those around me? Because as a child of God, that's what Paul is doing. He is bringing the gospel, the hope of salvation, to people in sin, doomed to hell, but now brought to eternal life. And not just that, but they're brought to eternal life with the one who lavishes every good gift on them and who solely restores them back to him, God. And that is why in verse 15 Paul says, be very careful how you live. Paul is talking about attitudes in the Christian life. Have wisdom. Verse 16 tells us that Christians will take opportunities. I interpret these opportunities to be ones to be a light, to shine Christ in the dark world. Verse 17 tells us understanding the Lord's will. And I think this comes through wisdom and understanding the Bible. Verse 18, self-control. And notice that contrast between being full of alcoholic spirits and being full of God's spirit. It's a contrast between worldly things and godly things, between darkness and light, and begs the question, are you focusing on worldly things or on godly things? Are you living in the darkness or the light? Are you taking the front gate to the farm with the gifts and freedom and access that comes along with it? Or are you still living in darkness, not aware of what is in the light? Because once again, this isn't a checklist for a Christian to do, a spiritual guide to successful Christianity. And we have to be careful when drawing these applications out of it. So do you help the old lady across the road? Do you move to Perth to join a church? Do you go travelling when you can? None of this is answered in our text, but we are shown how to think through these questions here. With wisdom, making the most of every opportunity, understanding your heavenly Father's heart. And verse 19 adds in encouragement and this real sense of unity amongst Christians. And praise to God, who has changed our hearts, who has adopted us, as his children through no work of our own. And finally, verse 20, give thanks to God for everything. If these verses are your mindset, it doesn't matter what you do because these are the attitudes of a child of the light. Because living as God's child isn't contained to one or two specific situations. It's not for the pastor or the the elder or the missionary, it's for all of us in all situations. Can I encourage you to talk about this during morning tea? Ponder and think through with each other how you live for the Lord in your settings. Because we have access to God. We can use the front gate. Let us live with the knowledge and privilege of these these blessings. Let's give thanks and pray now. Heavenly Father, we have access to you as your children. You have redeemed us. You have brought us to you uh, through no work of our own. Lord, help us think through 
uh, what you are doing to us, how you are changing our heart, how you are growing us to be more like you. Uh, Lord, may you continue to do so and may we respond to your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.